0: Well, the Kitchener Connection is in full force on this episode of the OHL Podcast, which is, of course, presented by Matt Smith Goaltending Incorporated for a personal and individualized approach to goaltending. Train where elite goaltenders are created. Check them out online at matsmithgoaltending.com. That Kitchener Connection, it's perfect with a last name like Schneider. Jeff Schneider joins us. It's great, sir, to have you on the show. Thanks for making the time.
1: You know what, it's a pleasure of mine, uh, Mike, it's all it, it's all mine, and I think that uh, when, when you reached out, I thought the Kitchener connection right there, I thought this is going to be a great uh, a great time.
0: The only problem is, you were a Grand River guy, and I was a St. Jerome's guy, so I mean, it just goes to show, I guess, all these years later, we can get along.
1: <laughs> uh, you know what, exactly, and the thing is, I probably should have been a St. Jerome's guy, but I, I didn't want to take the bus. I grew up Catholic, still am Catholic, and I didn't want to take the bus downtown, and instead you know probably walked about 25 minutes to school every day
0: so <laughs> there you go so it, i guess it, it's just a happy coincidence jeff that this works out when we were scheduling it that you are just home really from alumni weekend back in kingston so why don't we just start there 50 years of major junior hockey in kingston what was the reunion alumni weekend like for you
1: you know what it was awesome uh and i'll even show you a a, a member tiff puck that uh you know i'm not sure if you can see that online or not that the that the organization gave us here Perfect. uh you know along with uh the event you know what it was fantastic uh they put on a, a first class event for the guys there were probably around twenty two or three guys back maybe you know give or take a few and from my 89 90 team i think there were somewhere in the ballpark of 13 to 14 guys just off that that one team out of the butt. So uh it, it was fantastic. It was great to see the guys. I mean I think we laughed from start to finish, share an old story. Some you remember, some you forget. You know, some maybe you choose to forget. But uh uh you know it, it was awesome. And I was able to bring my, my most of my family back. So my uh my wife uh, Catherine and my son Caden they they flew out with me for the for the three, four days. We had a great time. Uh my folks uh from Kitchener they they made the drive up my sister and her uh, husband and and um, uh, and my nephew and his girlfriend all drove up from, from Toronto, so we were able to share it all together. And I think that was that was the best thing. I hadn't seen my parents actually since the start of COVID, uh, in person. So you know, the first time they stepped out of the car was right at the Leon Center as I helped them out of the car to go into the rig for the day. But uh, you know, they they we had a great time. Um, you know, we met. I think at early in the day we had a reception at the rink for all the guys and you know jimmy Gilcrest. you probably know jimmy gilchrist right uh cookie was there and it was 43 years later in the business unbelievable to see him uh my billet's brother paul was there so i had I literally just ran into him as i turned around um and then they they took us on the ice for opening ceremonies you know i, I had the the uh good fortune of being the first guy to go out i think just because i was the longest standing sort of Kingston player Mike Bodertuck and I uh that played on the Canadians, Raiders, and Frontenacs. Uh there's only three of us that have done that uh over the years. So we were the first two out, uh, followed by the rest of the guys, you know, right up to a guy like David Ling, who has his jersey in the rafters, right? Uh, you know, and and um and you know the boys had a had a tough outcome. Oshawa beat them 2-0. But uh you know, we were cheering up in the suite and and after, had an autograph session and, you know, had dinner at Tony Simlero's house. And, and it was just a fantastic day all around.
0: What a uh, difference, I'll bet, walking into that Leon Centre compared to the old Memorial Centre that you would have been playing in. <laughs>
1: you know, what, what a beautiful rink that is. Uh, it was funny because after the fact, so I think we, we left on the Saturday to head back to Ottawa to catch the Sens and Montreal game. And um, we took a tour through the Memorial Centre you know, uh, my son and wife and I, and and just had a great, great time. I mean, I I could not believe from an authenticity standpoint. I mean, I couldn't believe how, uh, call it, I don't want to say old, but let's say full of memories rink that that was. And with all the pictures taken down from the wall, it, it had a little bit of a, you know, an eerie feeling to it really, but a ton of memories walking around the rink. And from where we did warm-ups to working out to, uh, you know, thankfully not too many moments in the stands myself, you know, most of the time on the ice. Uh, but, you know, but but they've done a beautiful job with that new rink, that Leon Centre
0: is first class. Does it give you any uh, ideas that maybe, just maybe, it wouldn't be a bad site for a Memorial Cup in 2024?
1: Well, you know what? I've been following that, and I think that would be a great site in 2024. I mean, you know, I, I've I've my heart's really in two places in the OHL, always been in Kingston and always been in Kitchener, right? If I'm growing up and watching, oh, uh, John, you know, Brian Bellows and the list goes on of, of, uh, of pros that have come through that organization and, you know, see the resurrection of the arena and, and the history there that, uh, you know, I think that those are my, sort, of my, sort of my two favorite places really in the Ontario Hockey League um, so far, but, but I think Kingston would put on a great show that rink right down on the water it's at a time of year where it's, you know, the, it, the spring is there and the downtown is beautiful right now. I mean, it would be buzzing. It would be a fantastic place uh, for tourism, uh, as well as to host a, a, a wonderful hockey event like Memorial
0: Cup. I gotta be honest with you, Jeff, as, as a Kitchener kid, certainly I'm biased and I, I love what the city and, certainly the Memorial auditorium has to offer, but Kingston is one of my favorite stops on the circuit. I wish we got to go more than once a year for the reasons you just mentioned. It's a beautiful city. That arena is gorgeous. And we have a hotel that's basically right across the parking lot. Like it's a short little walk over. So, you know, get out, get some steps in, walk back and forth to the rink. And it's, it's a gorgeous city to to spend some time in.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I can't even remember who else is bidding uh, for, for the cup and, no offense to those towns, but of course, you know, my bias would be to see Kingston host.
0: Absolutely. Sue's in it. Saginaw is in it. They're hopeful. And, why am I? Oh, Niagara, the ice dogs are uh, hoping for 2024. So we'll see how that plays out. You said, you said something earlier that I really wanted to dive into as we started into this, that you are one of only three guys along with Mike Budner, Chuck and, and the late Mike Kavanaugh who were players with all three teams. So you're there your rookie year is the last year of the Kingston Canadians. Then for one year, you're the Kingston Raiders. And then in your third year, you become the Kingston Frontenacs. Did you feel in, in any way, Jeff, that maybe you played for three different teams over those years?
1: <laughs> you know what? I would say the city stayed the same, you know, they were still pretty loyal and pretty faithful, you know, despite, you know, after my rookie year, pretty frustrating year with my last 29 games the season, we went winless. You know, and I, and, I, and Mike Boddietrek and I, we ch- we talked a lot this past weekend um, about that time, and shared a lot of stories with with the guys that maybe weren't quite aware of that. Um, Ian McAlpine, one of the Whig Standard reporters in Kingston, he did a nice article um, uh, about a month or two ago that that Mike and I contributed to, and it was really talking about those times that, and the transition to the Frottenau years, and <clears throat> the 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 the. the team like the group of guys felt similar you know i'd say once we hit the front steps we were really becoming more of a contender my eighty-nine ninety year was 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 sort of our best year um and hence go figure winning teams stick together right and, and that's the same guys that were back at the reunion uh, <clears throat> but my first year the city felt the same but as the organization changed you, you know, you can, You can still had owners that loved the game. I mean, even even my first year, my second year, I think management still loved the game. They wanted to grow our product there. Um, they really, I think what stabilized it, uh, not only the group of guys that was 8 90 but Larry Mavity. Uh, Mav came in, uh, in in our Raiders year, so our second year, really turned the game around uh, as far as the way guys thought the game, the compete levels of which you, you should be playing the game, and a standard of which you can't go below. And this Mav was one of those guys that just don't drop below the standard and you've got a happy guy. You know, you go below the standard and, and he's gonna let you know. And that caught on after a year. We ended up getting a couple of overage players. Um, oh, Garth Joy. Oh, I can't I should I should recall the the second guy. Uh, but anyway, both defensemen, both um, have had a ton of experience coming from uh, I think the Bill LaForge era and Niagara Falls. And their leadership really started to turn the team around. We brought in Wayne Doucette, um, and who had been, you know, my third year was in, ended up being the captain of the team, and Mark Major and I were assistants. And we just had a, a really good leadership group uh, go, going forward. So I think the coaching made the big difference. Um, and, and I think that the, just sort of that whole uh, philosophy of the game started to change with
0: Mav's leadership. He almost didn't get a chance to be there for you in that third year because ownership was a little bit topsy-turvy. I don't want to tell tales out of school or speak ill, but if we're honest, Lou Kazowski was a bit of a character, wasn't he?
1: (laughs) He was. He was, you know, I think larger than life, Lou, that, uh, you know, he had a big presence and he had a, you know, uh, I'll I'll give it to him that he had an idea, right? He had a plan. Uh, You know, maybe the plan wasn't, necessarily uh, that seemed to be player centric at the time. Uh, But I think he, I think he meant well. I think at the end of the day, you know, he, he brought in Mav, which was probably a a smart, you know, plan and, but Mav really wanted to control the bench. I mean, my first year, uh, our coach was let go or maybe even quit Jacques Tremblay. I think he quit three quarters of the way a year through the season uh Dick Cherry ended up coming in, Don's brother, and and uh, I think Jim Dory might have stepped in to help coach. And at that point in time, uh just before uh Jacques uh had quit, Lou came down on the bench. Right? I mean this is like a uh Jerry Jones Dallas Cowboy situation here, right? But he comes down on the bench to try to coach. I remember it happening. I was I was, you know, a first-year player. I had my eyes on the ice and just kept, you know, kept uh kept my head pretty clear. But it really did bother, I think, a lot of the guys. And they thought, well, you know, what's happening here, right? So they, you know, the owner's on the bench. He's not the coach. And that's where things started to turn for the worse that year. So thankfully, when Mav came in, I think he was just a no-nonsense guy. And Mav just said, no, it's my team. I'm going to run it the way I want to run it. All the players respected him so much. Didn't really worry about the noise around them. So even when Ren Blair and, and crew came in uh, to, to take over the ownership my third year, it wasn't that stressful a process to the players because I think in our mind, you know, we had math, right? We had math. We were moving into it. We we're moving on, and, uh, and thankfully, math stayed, right? And, and the new owners were were really good, and and uh, I don't know the new owner now, but I think he's been there for a long period of time, and and so you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it just goes to show you whoever's steering the bus in the right direction. If it's your GM and coach, and and they've got a plan for the team. Uh, the players at that age, they're focused on that, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe when you get to the NHL, there's you know guys are older, they're more business savvy and things like that, and, they're, and, and they they know what's happening around them. You know, I think when you're a young guy, you just you see your teammates, you see your coach, you see your GM, and that's all you really focus on.
0: You know, it seemed for at least a minute or two that larger than life lose plan for the Kingston. Raiders at the time was to relocate them to, of all places, Owen Sound. As a player, how aware were you of that stuff going on sort of behind the scenes?
1: You know what? uh, Partway through that, we had heard rumors that he wanted to relocate the team. Uh, Personally, I didn't let it get to me that much. Ian brought that up to me. And I I had to really dust the cobwebs off. I thought, really? He was going to move us to Owen Sound. (laughs) So, and of course, coming from that southwest Ontario, Owen Sound was was close to home. It wasn't a bad place, right? But, but um, you, you know, from Kingston, you think, oh boy, that's that's a long long trek to that uh, that division and that side of the world. But we were aware of it. Um, but I guess at, at heart, we just knew that Kingston loved the team and, and, and didn't think that we were going to go
0: anywhere. So speaking of that side of the league, I've got to think and. We already talked about Larry Mavity, who had connections through the Quinty region as well. Belleville Bulls had to be, I'm just guessing, rival number one for you as a Kingston Raider, Canadian neck.
1: You know what? Belleville was a rivalry. It, it was funny. We're, we're, my son's 15, and so he took it all in this weekend. He's actually, he's a Western kid here, uh, but he's eligible for the upcoming draft in the OHL because I played. So he's got eligibility uh, to play in the OHL if he's you know fortunate to get that opportunity. So he was just taking in all the stories. Um, he's like Belleville. I mean, does Belleville have an OHL team anymore? I said no, no. And he follows it pretty closely. I said no. They've got a you know American Hockey League team at the Senators and so forth. But but we were telling them the rivalries, and that's where actually most of our stories went. Where the where the one game against Belleville, I think it might have been game two or three of uh, of the first seven game series in eighty nine ninety that we went to seven periods of hockey before Belleville scored the overtime winner. I think it's probably still one of the longest games in in, in CHL history. As far as overtime, I think it was one something in the morning that uh, that Belleville had scored. So so at at the end of the day, it was always a rivalry right from the first day that I got to Kingston. All you heard about was Belleville, Belleville, Belleville. uh, And that lasted really all the way through
0: my four years. Where did you like to play the least on the road?
1: Oh, the least on the road. Uh, you know what? It was funny. It was probably, I wouldn't say Belleville because Belleville, you're always excited to play. It, it might have been, like at least in our division anyhow, um, Ottawa. And I'm not sure what it was. Uh, when we were back in Kingston this past weekend, Joel Washrack is uh, a former uh, teammate, Washer, right, from the living in Waterloo. And Washers with the uh, Director of Player Development with the '67. So I said to him, I said, Wash, you know, I'd love to to you know take my wife and son through Ottawa. We're going to stay there for a day. Of course, Western boy, you know, uh, like my son, he has never seen the Parliament Building, because i would like to take him for a little bit of an educational tour here. We'll walk around the Parliament uh, Parliament Hill, and and then we'll see if we can uh, get a tour uh, of the '67's rink and just you know uh, have him see it because it was such a unique looking rink built into the football stadium and everything else. I'm not sure what it was, if it was the fact that it was such a different shape or the fact that they just, you know, had some good players and some good teams that maybe had our number uh, on on more than one occasion. I'd say probably Ottawa was, was, was the one that was, I found the toughest thing to to, to play in.
0: You mentioned earlier, Jeff, that 29 game winless streak to end what was your, Rookie season. How difficult is that to go through as a player? Even in retrospect, when you think back on that, you know, and and at the time,
1: um, you did everything you could to fight the idea that not winning was okay. And as a, as a young guy, and you know, and I think Mike Boderchuk said it well in, in the article with Ian. He said, you know, we. The youngest guys had to really work hard to look ahead at, at the future, to keep pressing hard. None of us like to lose. Everyone, you know, hates losing. And at least you know, as a competitor at that level, that's just got to be your mindset. And so we worked hard to stay up, to do extra workouts, to, to get on the ice early, work on your skills, and just try to focus on the day-to-day that you could do for yourself and eventually that would help the team, knowing that we had years ahead. I think we had a few of our older players got a little bit too used to losing. And I can say that now, wouldn't have said it as a rookie, but I can say that now. Uh, and that was, that was, that was difficult, right? That was a challenge for us. But I think we, we, all we could do is look ahead and say, we've got, you know, two, three, four years left. Let's make sure that we, that we prepare ourselves now so that, you know, next week, next month, next year, we're a lot better players to help the team. And that's kind of what got us through, right? We yeah, yeah, The first year guys really stuck together. Um, and, you know, and I think we, you know, Cavi was there and, and, and of course we just stuck together and just tried to look ahead, uh, at, at the future. We all had good billets, you know, still focused on school. So you just tried to, to, to keep your, your mind, uh, busy and stay out of trouble, right? Um, you know, some of the guys are missing curfew. The older guys, they're going out late. They're, they're doing things that none of us really wanted to do because we thought we knew we shouldn't be doing it. And um, I think surrounding ourselves with good people and having good billets. I had a really good billet, pretty strict billet, but really good. Uh, would Much like, uh, really much like the house I grew up in, right? As my parents loved hockey, uh, my mom in particular, but there was also a pretty hard line on, on, on commitment level and, and balance in life and working hard in school, but yet being ready to play. Uh, So I think that that was really helpful, especially as a 16-, 17-year-old going away from home for the first time.
0: I find that really interesting because that can't be easy, I don't think, Jeff, as a rookie, a young player on a hockey team, when you're seeing the vets behaving in a certain way that the tendency, I would think, would be to follow. But it sounds like you had a, a good core there of young players with you that decided, no, we're taking a different approach to this.
1: Oh, for sure. We had some good young players. And we also uh we also had some good veteran players too, right? That uh, that that really said, um, you know, if if it's something that you didn't want to do, and yeah, of course, we would go out with the guys, you know, we, we still try to be a part of the team as 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 you mentioned, but you kind of knew or you attempted to know where to draw the line. And we saw some pretty good leadership too, Scott Pierce and Steve Seftel, good Kitchener boy, um, that really had their heads on straight. I mean, they were focused on a pro career and and they were really good guys that held players accountable and they stayed, they kind of stayed out of trouble. So you kind of try kind to of follow the guys like that. Right. You know, um, and there are some other really, really good guys too. That, that, uh, um, that, that, you know, Mike Turner, who I spent a lot of time with, he, I was born in Windsor. So was Mike. And I kind of looked up to him as a, as a young kid in minor hockey, you know, cause we had the proberts, right. In Windsor, like there was some big names that you followed guys in Windsor and and I just remember Mark Turner was a super skilled player. And turns he was a really good guy. He he knew what was right from wrong and he kind of protected me a little bit too.
0: You mentioned Seftel, good Kitchener boy, washer, of course, from the area. You and I were joking just before we started recording as a Kitchener kid myself that Kitchener must be where all the great hockey players come from. But there's a <laughs> lot of connections there for real here.
1: There are. And well, and Dave Weese. Dave Weese was a uh Oh, a Blooming, uh, maybe Bloomingdale or or Elmira, St. Jacobs guy, right? And Dave was an overage player. You know, he he came to our team, and 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 I could never forget Dave. A super hardworking guy. Um, you, you know, kept kept his nose clean. Another one of these good leaders that you just sort of stayed by their side a little bit, um, and knowing that he was kind of from that hometown area, I felt pretty comfortable. Uh, you know, I think he was a later later addition to the team as an overage player. But yeah, so, so you, you know those core guys. But you're right. I think there's. I mean, the list goes on from from uh, from all the Kitchener guys that have uh, kind of played in the league and and stumbled. You know, I stumbled across on social media right now. Like I haven't I haven't uh, run into Jason Denny, I don't know how long. And about now I'm seeing him on social media, start to follow him. And and one of the guys that I'm coaching community hockey with here in Calgary, he knows him from playing with him on the East Coast at the university level. And and so it's quite it's quite funny. I mean, Mark Battier played with Deno in the Sioux, and then when we took a walk through um, uh, Ottawa uh, and the sixty sevens area, run into his son who just played the World unity, team. Right, so I mean, it was just this whirlwind weekend of, oh yeah, I know of that guy, I know of this guy, and then you see the offspring that are coming up and and taking over. It's it's pretty cool.
0: It's so funny. So Deno was just on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and. I'm going to give away the trade secret here. I found you thanks to social media. I can't remember whose podcast it was, who the guest was or whatever, but I saw you interact with them. I believe it was on Twitter. So I made a note of your, of your Twitter (laughs) handle and that's, I'm pretty sure that's how, oh no, then I found from your bio out to the clinic where you are and, the rest is history. But that's how I ended up finding you by use of social media with you interacting with a former <laughs> guest on this show. So there you go. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a small world. And it's, you know, the hockey world's a big world, but it's a small world, right? I think a lot of guys stick together and and always give each other the benefit of the doubt when, when there's good hockey people around.
0: So that trajectory is evident just in the win loss record of the Kingston teams that you were a part of over those first three years. I think the first year was 12 or 14 wins, but then it went up and then in that third year, 40 plus, I think it was 41 victories for your club that year. And you talked already about that seven game series with the Bulls, the one game that went seven periods. But the kicker of all of it, I think, is that you guys were a a top ranked team and thought maybe just maybe you got the you got the jam to go a long way and those darn bulls knocked you out in the first round that year <laughs>
1: Sure. And, and it, if, uh, you know, I, I think I used to skate in the summer a little bit with with uh, Bill Armstrong and, and Paul Holden. And we were kind of all the 1970 years that Anton Thun was our player agent. So that was our sort of common link. Holden, Paul's a really good Kitchener boy. And uh, we were best buddies growing up. And, uh, and then we got on to Bill Armstrong because he was with Anton Thun in his agency. And we'd skate a little bit out and just out on the outskirts of T.O., And if I think Bill is doing some great things here with the Arizona Coyotes. I think he might be the the GM there. Um, And so Bill might argue me on this one, but we had Oshawa's number that year. So in how many ever games we played against each other, eight to ten games, you know, definitely the majority were on our side in terms of uh, winning games. Uh, Or it seemed like it anyhow. You know, we really felt like we were in good competition with them. And so Belleville, though, it was the opposite. Belva kind of had our goat that year. And so we we honestly felt if we would have got past Belleville, we could have gone a long way. And of course, Oshawa goes on to win the Memorial Cup. And I'll make the joke that they stole it right from underneath us. Uh, but obviously, they 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 deserved it. Uh, but uh, so yeah, that was a it was a close but yet not so close year, right? And we talked about that a lot this weekend. Actually, that's one of the biggest memories that group, you know, will take to our grave in the sense that we we were close but yet not close, right? As far as as far as that year goes.
0: If I remember that series correctly too, it was, it was back and forth and the homers, the home team was winning every time until that seventh game when they got you in your barn. Exactly.
1: And that was, that was a tough one because we came back with a lot of confidence. That, okay. It's game seven. It's in our barn. We've got this. And it just didn't pan out. But, but uh, you know, I think it was, it was a really good series and that was a heck of a season. Um, And unfortunately that was sort of the one and only year of my four that we made the playoffs. Um, But, but that was, that was a really good year. I mean, I think, you know, from that year I went on to uh, sign a tryout agreement with LA and, and play a few games in the minors. And then before I came back as an overage player, so it was really kind of a good experience right from start to finish that year. Overage year was a little bit of a tough year. Again, it was kind of like going back to my rookie year in terms of, of, um, just a younger team, right? A younger team, and but still a, a bunch of really good kids and, and great attitudes. It wasn't like that year of, of my Canadians' year. It Very much was was kids that still wanted to play and and go hard. You know, Kelly Corpse was a rookie, and 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 it, it, it eventually, you, you know, I think um, the young guys ended up, you know, going on to, to to do a few good things here. But it's tough as an older player, right? As a twenty-year-old, your experience wants to be more let's see how far we can go in the playoffs, but sometimes you've got to take on the role of, of a leader and help the younger guys as well. And I think that's definitely that year, I think was, was probably good, a good experience for me in the sense that you had to really flip to a mentor role and, uh, and, and put the team first for sure.
0: You know, I don't want to, I don't want to kick a guy while he's down talking about a story of a first round upset that went against him, but you just make me think, now, Jeff, when you talk about Kelly Corpse as a rookie in your OA year, and there's another great generation of, of Fronts players. You mentioned David Ling earlier, obviously. You had that team you were a part of in 89-90. And yet, on the whole, you, we, we started this by talking about your alumni weekend, 50 years of major junior hockey in Kingston. Not one championship. Not one championship. Does that? It must almost shock you at this point to think of that.
1: You know, it, it does. And we talked about that a lot this weekend, too. Is we, You know, we kind of sat back and said, you know, we are watching the game and the game has changed, right? And I think the game of hockey has largely changed for the better. But I will have part of me that goes against that a bit. Uh, and that I think that if you can combine the skill level, the speed, the intelligence, uh, with physicality and compete, I think you've got the perfect team. And we see teams like that win the Stanley Cup. You see teams like that win OHL and WHL and, and Quebec League championships. Um, and I think that obviously our teams, with except the exception of the team, I think my other teams I was on were missing a little bit of that, that bit of that combination, that secret sauce of of just compete, compete, compete as a as a as a group. And we saw that a bit, you know we we see all we see a lot of skill um, uh, nowadays, which is really fantastic. But I think they're real winning organizations, right? And and you can name a bunch of those from across. Really, I see them in the West now, with some great teams. You know, this year you've got Seattle and you've got um, Winnipeg, and you know you've got some great hockey teams here. You know, in in the OHL, you've got. You know, you wouldn't be able to name them, but I mean, you've got London and and Windsor and and others that are, are are Ottawa, you know, that are really competing to try to get there. And I think the that missing ingredient is something within maybe the Kingston organization that if they can just put all that together, you know, the right personnel, the right coach and GM, and just that winning drive. But not not that they don't have that, because obviously uh, that's what they're all paid an employee to do and they're all good hockey people and everything else in Kingston. I, I think it's, it's a function of uh, getting that taste of victory in a championship and then that taste just won't go away. Right. But, but what it takes to get there, uh, I think, you know, is the million dollar question, right?
0: I think it's such a great comparison you draw between the eras because I'm with you a hundred percent on the way you just described it. And of course, then it makes me think back to the era that you played Late eighties, just into the early nineties, when line brawls, bench clearing brawls, were not necessarily uncommon. Larry Mavity was uh, no slouch. He he was a tougher coach. I mean, did were you ever involved in a game where a Donnie Brook broke out? You know, there's probably a number
1: of games where where five on 5s were on the ice, like everyone's grabbing onto a guy, two three pairs are going at it type of thing. Um, never a full uh, full bench brawl both teams right um yeah you know, definitely they occurred you know there were there were guys uh, you know mark LaForge is a former kingston canadian was traded to Sudbury. my first year uh, so i never really had the pleasure of playing with him or, or, or on the same team as him but you know there were there was definitely that era of guys there were some tough guys i mean in in belleville there was troy crowder uh you know todd uh, hawkins Pibro, ty domi you know, the list went on. Luke Richardson, uh, you, you know, there were some, some some tough guys. And then Niagara Falls, you know, Ryan Vandenbush. And there were some, you know, heavyweights that were around the league. Uh, but no full-fledged uh, branch balls uh, for the teams that I was on, anyway.
0: So as a defenseman, though, you must have to know coming into a game, who the guys are that might make your life really difficult when your back is to them and you're chasing a puck into your own end.
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's a number of guys that I think, you know what it's funny because, and I'm not sure if you notice this, uh, Mike as much, but in our era, because of that very reason is, you know, the your D partner was pretty much always running, running traffic. They're always creating a bit of interference. I don't see that that much nowadays, uh, as much as we did. And it's more of a mindset of, and and I see it at at my own son's level at, at, you know, at 15 is they're always thinking about that next play forward too. Right. So it's rather than, yeah, you could call your partner, then they just jump as an outlet and, or then all these five foot passes that are pretty slick to get out of the zone these days are, are pretty wild to watch, but that run interference. So the guy doesn't get run doesn't happen as much. Now, is that because guys aren't running guys as much? Uh, or is it the fact that, you know, guys get back to the puck so quick that they just dish it off to, and they're evasive of hits too, because their skill level, right? So I think it's a combination of the two, but we definitely had to hold guys up. And if you weren't, you're definitely getting killed too many times in the game.
0: No question (laughs) about That's good for you. Yeah. (laughs) So let's stay on the position for a moment here as a defenseman. Obviously, it's not a place you tend to score a lot from. There are exceptions to that rule. I think it was nine career goals for you, Jeff. But two of them came in one game in your final year. And they stand to this day as a Frontenac's franchise record. Two goals in 10 seconds. How the hell did you do that? (laughs) Well, you know what's so funny
1: is that I might have been a defenseman on the roster, but that one game I played forward. (laughs) And so... (laughs) It it was against Ottawa, and I remember I, I can't even remember how the first goal went, in, but I remember the second one because we went right back to center ice. Puck was dropped; it went right through. I beat my winger to the puck, went outside in on a defenseman, split the D, and went in and scored. <laughs> and it was—I mean, obviously, I was probably laughing and cheering at the exact same time. And I remember coming up to, to Ryan Cuivera, uh, who was the the right winger, and I was playing left wing, and he's playing for Ottawa. And and he looked at me, he said, Schneider, what the heck was that? I said, I don't know. I mean, that's, he's, what are you doing up here anyway? I said, well, you know, uh, coach said he wanted me to go up front. We had some young guys that he wanted to get the lineup. And, you know, I was captain that year and I I thought, yeah, I'll do whatever the team needs me to do. So I just went up to play left wing that game. I think I was with Justin Morrison and Bob McKillop. So another good catcher boy and Bobby. So, you know, two guys that could put the puck in the net. So that made it
0: easy too. (laughs) I'm surprised after that you didn't just say, screw the blue line. I'm staying up front. I've got a knack up here.
1: Yeah, it was tempting. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I knew where, where my place was. And, and, you know, it was funny because you talk about, oh, you know, it's the CHL hockey, then you talk about university hockey. And I think it was, you know, um, interesting because going from that year, then I went right to – I kind of turned down um, – some some opportunities to go up to AHL teams for playoffs, but because I thought, well, you know, what, I think I'm ready to, to kind of go on to university and go on to university hockey, and and didn't want to lose any eligibility at the time. So when I got to Waterloo, the game started to change around a bit more. Became a little bit more of a two way player, and I probably enjoyed that game more because you might remember at that time, Mike, there was that was when university hockey wasn't using the red line, uh, as there was no two there was no two line pass in university hockey, so you had to be quicker and dealing with the stretch passes and things like that in quick transition game. Whereas the CHL at the time still had a red line rule. And so it was definitely much more of, you know, you, you didn't, guys couldn't cheat leaving the zone and things like that. So you could kind of get away with, with being a bit more of that defensive game. Right. But it was really good learning going into the university game. Cause that kind of, for those four years started to, you know, get a few more points and get on the power play and enjoy kind of both sides of the game but uh but no yeah you're totally right i think in, in the ohl it was you know a sort of a solid uh, you know defensive player and nowadays i'm not too sure that player would would exist right i i think that defensemen nowadays to play at that level or anything higher than that level you've got to be 200 feet 200 foot guy right in terms of contributing comfortably on the offense i don't have to necessarily be caleb McCarr, but contributing comfortably Being able to distribute the puck, keep up with the pace, and then, but also be, you know, responsible in your own zone, right? So I think from a D man's game, I think it's a way more enjoyable game now because you're getting to play as a five man unit and join the rush if you have to and get back in your own zone and still be responsible. Um, Whereas I think back in that day, you could be that guy that played up to the far team's blue line. Managed the puck well on the other teams, but you didn't always have to be, you know, behind the goal line, (laughs) right, creating offensive opportunities. So,
0: yeah, that was, uh, that was fun. What position does Caden play? He's a defenseman. He's a defenseman. So, yeah, so you're teaching him all the old tricks (laughs) (laughs) tonight.
1: Exactly. Well, you know, what's funny with him is that he, uh, he was a forward. Like, you know, Tim Bitts in the young ages, everybody plays every position and I always coached his team and, was adamant that everybody had to play everywhere. If someone came up to me at age six and said, "You know what? I'm a center," I'd be like, "You know, sorry son, you're you're everywhere, right? You got to learn, see the game. Let's have some fun, right?" So right up until his just about his PV a year in, in, in Alberta, uh, you play community hockey. Right up until U fifteen. Once hit U fifteen, then you go to more of the elite stream, right? So which is more your double AA level. Uh, But in PeeWee, we don't have a AAA level. We only have AA. AA would be your highest level. So it was just before PeeWee AA, I was coaching his team, and I had uh, 5D, and and I had a guy that said uh, 6D, and I had one young lad that just said, I don't want to play defense. You know, I'd rather play a forward and be a forward. And so I said to to Kate, I said, sorry, Kate, I'm the head coach, and I can't play favorites, so you're going back to defense. So okay. So he was about 12. It really hasn't looked back since. Like he, he enjoys it back there. So that's been uh, that's been a lot of fun. But you know, head co- you you know, head coaching your own son, and you just optics wise, you just never want to look like you're uh, you know showing him any favors. So he probably would joke and he say, well, maybe that wasn't his best interest. You know, having dad as head coach. But we have we've had a ton of fun. I mean, I cannot remember one time in the car that we talk about hockey after a game. You're really, really aware of the the game ends when the game ends, and we just talk about other stuff or the good things on the way home. And I think that part he's probably benefited from uh, knowing that if you're in the room with them, you know what the guys are, go- the kids are going through. Right? The parents on the other side of the rink don't always see that. They don't always see the 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 young kid that was upset on the bench or had a bad day, and that you really had to kind of get them going a bit. Right? Uh, all the parents see is scoreboard and you know sometimes not all of them of course but the scoreboard and they see what goes on on the ice but they don't you know they don't know what's going on behind behind the bench the hardest day for me was when he when Caden played his first year of U15 was now being in the crowd (laughs) it was I had to stand way away from everybody and just talk to you know one or two friends or my wife and just gotta just to try to stay away because you're hearing all the comments and advice thinking oh are you ever dead wrong right yeah so it was nice just to stay away and now I've learned uh to just find the right people to stand with
0: (laughs) that is super interesting to me because I was going to ask about coaching Jeff when Mm -hmm. I mean as a former player and I hear this from so many that they they don't have the control that they would like to have when you're playing you feel like you've got that little bit more control of what's going on obviously then behind the bench is one step into the crowd as, as dad is, is another step still, but what was it like for you? What is it like for you behind the bench?
1: Yeah, you bet. So it was funny when my, um, our son, like Caden went up to, uh, to play hockey at Edmonton. So he's, uh, left home a little earlier than he probably wanted to, but he, but he said, yeah, I really want to go. And and he was playing at a hockey academy here in Calgary. And there was another hockey academy at Edmonton called Northern Alberta extreme. And you can look up their coaches and the players that went on and you'll know why he wanted to go there. It is a hockey Academy, hockey Academy, you know, Dylan Gunther and, and Matt Savoy, these are just recent graduates from that program. Right. And all the coaches are former NHL guys, former American league guys. They just have a really good head for hockey. And so he really wanted to go. So that's where he is now. And so what, what, what I, you know, stopped coaching him and he's had some great coaches over the years from U 15 onward, right? So he's had Mickey DuPont, who was a former CHL Defenseman of the Year. Uh he's had Jeff Chance. He's had, you know, now his head coach is Dave Schlemkoe, uh, who's a who's a great, great guy, really good hockey guy, a super, you know, uh competitor, uh, tons of passion for the game. And and so he's he's had luck to have these good coaches. But um when he left, I thought, what am I going to do? Like I could talk to him during the week of, you know, and my wife and I were, we're always busy doing stuff and hanging out and having a great time. But, but she knew that I'd just miss, missed hockey. Right. So when I got a call from U uh, U18 in our old community association that I mentioned where kids play until U15. Does he want to come coach our U18 tier one uh, body checking team? I'm like, Oh, I can't really head coach because, uh, because I've, uh, uh, probably on the weekends, I don't want to miss cadence games if I have the opportunity. So I, get there about 60, 70% of the time during the week. And it's been, it's been great. Right. I mean, a lot of these guys are 06, some 07 and and 05 players that, that, that still want to get back up to that elite level. And it's just been fun, fun to coach. I mean, I've been on the board at Hockey Calgary here for 10 years all through Caden's minor hockey, I was on coach selection committee, ran evaluations, you know, either head coach or assistant coach's team. <laughs> so just sort of loved the game and and being involved, I think, with him was, was the best. Just kind of getting excited, going to the rink together, both kind of sharing, uh, uh, you know, the butterflies for the game. Even as a coach, I still had the, the excitement. The butterflies loved the pregame tunes. In a warm-up, I was probably more excited on the bench than half the players skating around the ice with the music on and everything else. So you know, I think the energy for the game, it, it, that when you love it, it, never dies. And so that transition's been a little bit easier on the coaching side. Uh, but the parent just watching side is, is getting better now, but it's taken a couple of years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that still needs a little bit of work in rinks across this country. But, okay. Yeah. Your dad's so you're allowed to be biased. How closely should yeah. I be paying attention this April, Jeff, for Caden Schneider's name to come across in the OHL priority selection? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what? I,
1: I could you know with with my with my dad and hockey eyes on together, you know, I can just say that I see uh, a nice trajectory. You know, I see a, a late bloomer kid that was in January of last year before the WHL draft when the when you go in to get your height and weight. You know, he's 5'9", 142, 143 pounds, you know, working on the the feet and just kind of getting the confidence. And then now, you know, I see a kid who's 6'2", just under 180, and is just starting to, he sees the ice really well. Uh, You know, like every other 15-year-old, there's lots of stuff he could work on, right? Um, And he knows it, and I don't even have to say anything. Like, I mean, he just loves the game, and he's working really hard. And so you know, I've told him whether it happens or not in april um it you know the your trajectory is you're going on the right path, right, and just keep working hard and having fun enjoying it and Of course, I think he would love to he would love to hear his name called. he'd love to play and have the opportunity because he loves the game right I mean I think that's the biggest thing you know he's heard my stories, and this weekend he it was laughter from start to finish, and I could just see him standing beside me, just taking it all in right so so that for that reason alone I, i'd love for him to have that experience um and and then just see you know what the, what life brings right
0: it sounds perfect and i i love to hear and we've heard it a lot especially when you have a winning team like that 89 90 team that we talked about already the bond that is created and and we think back on this now Schneider, we're we're talking what 35 ish years ago that this and and you guys probably got back together like you'd barely missed a beat.
1: Oh, exactly. Right. And I think that, that right there says a lot, right? Yeah. And you, much like what you tell kids now, you'll say, ah, yeah, you know what, you might not remember winning an SO minor hockey week or a tournament when you were 10, but you remember that time in the hotel where you were in the pool and you were playing mini sticks in the hallway, uh, you know, take it up to a junior level. And yeah, you remember the big wins for sure. You remember the playoffs, you remember all those big moments, you sure remember a ton of laughs of the bus ride and that time after the game. And, you know, like all that type of thing. Right. I think those stories were as plentiful as the um, as the wins and the losses. Right. And I mean, there were the funny stories that you remember about each of the players um, that there were some stories that were brought up that we had no idea. Washer was killing us with stories this this weekend. I'll, I'll let you ask him. Uh, and, and Wayne Doucette you know, two two of the best storytellers that there were, and they were uh, they were just in stitches because they remembered everything. <laughs> there wasn't a single thing that they forgot. And so they probably had to remind us on some of the things, right? But but uh, it, you know, it was it was great to see the guys and and where where they're at now, and, and a lot of them are really doing well. Right, they're healthy, successful, and and but and their kids play or they're coached, and they still stay. You know they still stay within the game, um, and 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 some of the guys maybe not, you know, not as much, but yet they, you know, they still watch hockey, they still talk hockey, and and uh, and it was it was just a, a twenty four hours of laughter this weekend, so it was great.
0: Okay, so regular listeners are going to roll their eyes at me for this, but I'm going to say it because just because you brought up his name, I think you'll get a kick out of Washer and I, our history together. When I was in broadcasting school, Joel Washkarak was like the standout star of the Conestoga College Condors. And I was calling the games. And it was like every game was like a four-goal game for Joel Washkarak. And here you and I have already talked about you taking the university route. He went to the college route, but (laughs) he and I have been linked, connected at the hip, really, since day one for me in this business. And we had him on the podcast not too long ago, and we still have laughs about that. He still chirps me for it. (laughs)
1: well <laughs> oh, he he is he's a great tripper oh buddy. he is set like the heart of the guy is like this big right he is the glue that has kept all of us together he we have about 35 40 of us on an email and every year if it's not once or twice or three times it's the merry christmas email that comes out that he starts that everybody else replies or when math passed away and we all got together and shared some stories. You know, Lenny Coyle was our one of our equipment guys when he passed away. Same thing. So it, it's one of those things where he is the, you know, he's the he is the glue that holds us together. We told him all about this weekend, and he's right in the middle of it, just taking as many lumps as he's given, and it's just hilarious, right? I, I mean, and you know, I think he's obviously a. Uh, I mean, he's he's done everything in hockey now, right? From officiating to to playing to uh, i'm sure he's probably coached somewhere along the way uh you know and and one of his sons is is doing really well too so i think you know he just loves the game you can tell
0: okay back to the jeff schneider trajectory here what did it mean to you to have that letter on your jersey in the ontario hockey league well you know that
1: meant everything that honestly that was probably one of the biggest honors especially the 89 90 team because there's there were a lot of guys Uh, that year that could have worn a letter for one way, shape or form, you know, as far as their effort, their, you know, leadership, vocal, non-vocal, that type of thing. Uh, But, but to be with Mark Major as another A uh, and Wayne Doucette, you know, the heart and soul of the team as, as your captain, but to have all the guys on the same page and to lead a group of guys that all really wanted to be there, you know, we had we had traded for John Nelson and Pete Liptrot and all these, you know, guys that were just a year older than me but had a wealth of experience and and, and played their hearts out, so it was great to lead those guys. And then, of course, to, to sit in the middle in the front row with with the C on my overage year, as hard of a year as that was, because individually I didn't have a great year, coming off a fantastic. Pro tryout and a fantastic year, uh, being Kingston's nominee for defenseman of the year um, as a somewhat defensive defenseman. I think was a, was a huge honor, and, and I think just faith that Mav had in me and Garth Joy, who was our D coach, had in me. Um, you know, beyond guys like Cabby that had 49, 50 points that year, right? Had a great season, and so I think that you know I took all that energy and into the into the captaincy. And really just tried to guide the guys you know to be positive in a year that was pretty tough uh but still keep the work ethic and and leadership, so it was a huge honor you know i thank signed Kingston to this day and the coaches for for bestowing that honor on me and you know it's funny for example the the if if you replayed the fiftieth the the anniversary this weekend and the, and you walk out on the ice again I had the, the honor to be the first guy to go out um when they announce he has, you know, Jeff Schneider, years 80, you know, 87 to 91 uh, and a former captain, whether the crowd knows you or not, it's, it's like a bigger cheer, right? There are about five of us that were former captains, Deuce and Dave Lang and a couple of other guys that I, you know, their name escapes me right now, but it it's just a different energy that the crowd brings, right? I think that there's just that respect level for your, for your captain, your leader. So, to, to, for Kingston to give you that honor. I mean, that was, uh, that was great. You know, I love my, my time there and you know, they're a great organization. And as you you, you brought back to the championship, I really wish them a championship. I think that they've got, you know, a, a great organization. I look at their coach across the, I, I don't even know what his name is, but I'll tell you, I watched him. This is a hockey guy and a coach, right? I watched him. He has got energy and honestly, he's got the fire um uh, you know i don't know the gm um but i saw him working out before the game you know he's got the fire i think that they if they can really get the young guys because they got uh, we watched the game very young hardworking team right that they're a young hard-working team if they can get that energy into them and really take them forward i really hope that they the championship is coming you know uh you know with the organization right um and of course as a as a former captain i'd be the first one there cheering those guys on if they got far i'd fly back and and cheer them on it's it's just such a such an honor as you said right to be in that position
0: I think Corey Cooper, the GM, made some good deals at this year's trade deadline and is putting together a nice team. And Luca Caputi, who's the coach, boy, oh, boy, he sure had it on the ice. So, you know, hopefully that translates into what he does behind the bench. I don't get to see enough of the East. That's If I had a complaint Mm -hmm. about the Ontario Hockey League, Jeff, it's that we don't cross over enough. I get it, and kids had to be in school and all of these different things, but the one trip just isn't enough for me.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah, you bet. Yeah, no, it was funny because you know I I date back to – 20 minutes ago when I was talking about if they can just put together that energy and that fire and that compete you know, the heart and soul of every single player I mean, I look at the I look at the coach and the GM but I think they've got that I Think they themselves have it I mean, I saw the coach's energy on the bench and he was, you know he looked like he wanted to don some skates himself and get out there, right? And when you see that you can't help but that being infectious that goes to the rest of your coaches down to the players and the rest of the organization so hopefully they've got you know, some good things to come in the future
0: given how your junior hockey career ended and you know being that captain and having gone through it you went through how difficult was it for you to make that decision at 20 21 years of age to say no i'm gonna go to school right now and i'm not gonna pursue even the american hockey league and and a pro contract
1: tough choice um it was a tough choice in one hand because you know my experiences at LA's camp and the feedback that I got from Rogi Vashon was really quite positive um you, you know at the time they offered these things like these 25 game contracts it was almost like here you can sign this partial contract to play for a bit if you play well we'll extend it the rest of the year so that, that offer was there you know my agent at the time said well you know what you had a good camp let's go back and really light it up have a good overage year and And then sky's the limit because you're still a free agent, right? So that that makes sense, right? But when things don't work out, (laughs) then you say, oh, well, darn, maybe I should have accepted that other contract before. Um, But I I think uh, it was a tough decision because of memories of I knew I could play. But it was an easier decision because I knew I gave it my all and there was a new chapter that was just waiting there for me, right? Um, you know, I was going into the University of Waterloo. They just finished a national championship run, losing out to the ever-powerful U of A Golden Bears. Um, and so when I came into t- the league my my first year, in, and I guess the CIAU was the time, or U Sport as it is now, you know, we probably had 16, 17, 18 guys from the OHL. Right, you're starting to see this transition of CHL hockey players into your university hockey, and that just grew out, grew throughout my my four years there. Really, really loved my time at Waterloo. Like I, that was a unbelievably fond memory. Our wedding party were pretty much all Waterloo hockey guys. Right, we still keep in, in significant contact with each other, and all the guys are gone off you know, doing different things. Uh, Chris Kramer, a good Waterloo boy, uh, his oldest two daughters live with our oldest two daughters. They both play NCAA soccer at University of Maine. So there's a nice, you know, sort of uh, evolution. So in that respect, it was an easier decision to go because I knew what I was going into. It was still going to be competitive hockey, a good team, and then just kind of moving on to a new challenge of academics.
0: And on the academic side, did you know then, like Waterloo makes a ton of sense as I take the – hundred foot view of this to what you're doing today was that the academic plan when you arrived
1: uh not so much Uh, my academic plan it was interesting because as you know waterloo's got a very good kinesiology program well the standard to get in was quite high and coming from high school as a junior hockey player at the time my marks were okay maybe low 70s so when i got into the program which I probably wouldn't get in now with low 70s. But when I got into the program at the time, uh, Donnie McKee was our head coach. He said, to listen, with your marks alone, I don't think you're going to get in, but we can write this autobiographical sketch and kind of explain that before you went to junior, your marks were really high. You went to junior, your marks dropped down. But yet coming into university, that you can assure that they're going to go up and you're going to focus on this and that. So I met with the dean of the faculty who basically looked at me and thought, there's no way you should be here. You know, it was quite a quite a conversation. But I'm gonna let you and know, I'm gonna give you a chance. Uh and and so I thought, okay, that's all I can all I can ask for. And then my marks went up over 10% my first year in university. And it was just again the environment, the focus, the shift, all that type of thing. And and so then the you know, the dean was my best buddy after that, right? And because he realized, holy cow, this guy he wasn't lying. So that transition was Hard in one sense because you felt like you were giving up on the pro career, but it was easy in another because you're going to take that energy into something brand new. And we had a really good group of guys, you know, great coaches. We had Jeff Ward, of course. Uh, Wardy and I are are, are are still good friends despite not seeing each other. Tell him when he was head coach of Calgary Flames, he and his wife were over at the backyard for a barbecue, and it was great to have him here. Hadn't seen him in forever. And again, those bonds stayed pretty strong with a lot. We, we had some great teams through the Waterloo years as well. Um, and, and so that that part of it, I think, you know, when when CHL hockey players, you know, I should start a, all of us that have transitioned to U sports should have a counseling <laughs> service to because it's not easy because you feel like you're giving up, but now we really you're not, because if you want to keep playing, you can. Europe's still an option, East Coast League, American League are still options once you're done university, um, hockey and I mean, you've been to Universe Hockey. It's good hockey to watch, right? I think it's a bit of a hidden secret still, especially in a big city like Calgary. It is in Universe of Calgary is a really good team this year, but it's behind the Flames, the Wranglers, the Hitmen. You're you're behind about three or four leagues of hockey, so it's just too many choices for people, right? Um, but I would love to see U Sport promoted a lot more, and a lot more finances go into it because it is really good hockey.
0: I have to go back half a step because when you mentioned Don McKee's name, my ears definitely perked up for any of our listeners in the region of Waterloo. There's a good old Waterloo County name and, and the stuff of sporting legend through the University of Waterloo. What was it like playing for him?
1: You know, Donnie was Donnie is a is, you know, he, he's he's a great guy, right? Um, and and I think that his energy coming from a principal. If I had all the guys behind me, the first thing they'd think of is his easel. So he'd have the the the, the flip chart. Right nowadays, you have iPads, you know, erasable marker. Um, he had the easel, and this he had the flip chart paper, you know, the three big rings at the top. And he'd have about five or six different colored pens, and he'd draw a drill that he learned from the national team or his level five coaching seminars or whatever he ran across the country. And he'd have a bunch of university students at the end of it looking at each other like, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> there was flow and markers everywhere, but he was an innovative coach. He really, I didn't really have a coach before him that really got into as much of that kind of European style, maybe ahead of his time a little bit, really academic thinking coach. Uh, and he was quite the energetic guy and a character, like just, you know, hilarious, right? So I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it was a great experience playing for Donnie and you know, uh, we had a really good relationship too. I used to work some of the hockey schools in the summer when I played junior hockey and, and Donnie would be running a lot of those schools. So we knew each other quite well going into it. And, you know, again, he bestowed me the honor of being captain my third and fourth year at Waterloo and which was, which was great, but, uh, but definitely character. Lots of, uh lots of funny stories with Donnie. It was my first experience of playing on in five men units uh, where they, where they really tried to keep certain D pairs together with certain forward lines. So in practice, if you were the blue line, you're playing the blue, you know, as a blue unit, that next game. And nowadays, you know, or, or any time, well, really, you know, the odd time a D pairing can get mixed up with the forwards, but he really wanted to keep those five guys together uh, and start to create that five man unit play that you see a lot nowadays where the defensemen are joining the rush and, and you're really playing as five not three and two. Right. Uh, So, yeah, so he was he was was kind of an innovative kind of guy that that was maybe a little bit ahead of his time with coaching because he wasn't old school. So it took a bit for the for for guys to get used to that.
0: I I love the way you described your academic experience and that decision earlier, Jeff, because it's it leads into something that I I wanted to touch on with you. And I'm going to ask you to bear with me for this, because when you and I were emailing, to connect to have this conversation, I couldn't help but notice the signature on the bottom of your email, which reads, Dr. Jeff Schneider, Bachelor of Science Kinesiology. Is that Bachelor of Health Science? Physiotherapy, yes. is that what that okay. Uh, Doctor mm-hmm. of Science, is that DSC? That's right. Okay. PhD, we get an F camped I'm not positive of.
1: Oh, yeah, so FCANT is a fellowship that when you're a physiotherapist, you can go through this orthopedic uh, specialization. It's like being an orthopedic specialist in in a physio role.
0: Okay, so that's just the first line. Then we've got clinical specialist in musculoskeletal physiotherapy, GUN IMS, is that right? I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, so it's basically it's it's like a dry needling technique. You use an acupuncture needle to treat soft tissue pain. Okay, so GUN IMS practitioner. Director of Research Evidence Sport and Spinal Therapy, Chair, Alberta Association of Physiotherapy, Adjunct Assistant Professor, Department of Radiology, Cummings School of Medicine, University of Calgary, Adjunct Associate Professor, Department of Physical Therapy, School of Health Professions, Andrews University, Adjunct Professor, Department of Physical Therapy, Faculty of Medicine, University of British Columbia, and Assistant Clinical Professor, adjunct school of rehabilitation sciences faculty of health sciences mcmaster university jeff schneider are you the somebody get on the phone with david branch because i think we found the poster boy (laughs) for the scholastic package that comes with being an ontario hockey league player (laughs) you've got to be the poster boy
1: (laughs) (laughs) so and, and the guys were giving me a hard time so this weekend it was funny they because I think my wife and my son were there, one at a time, guys would walk up and they'd sit down next to me and say, you know what? Your dad was the hardest working guy. He never went out with us. He always did his homework. They were joking. I was definitely one of the guys who went out with them, but took school seriously, right? And, and made sure my homework was done first before I went out. But you know what? At, at the end of the day, I think the opportunity lies for a lot of the, um, you know, we, we a lot of the CHL players. We were blessed to have our girls Take soccer to the next level and play Division One soccer in the US and they love it. Um, you know, division like soccer here in Canada is great, but it's just again, it's a, the unfortunate difference for the NCAA and U Sport is how much money is in the NCAA and how serious they take it. And how uh, there's just perks there for athletes at the soccer level that are different than in Canada, despite there being a lot of good soccer players here playing U Sport soccer. And so our girls have experienced that. Um, but I think the CHL players here still have, like the NCAA hockey is great. You can go there as an older player and be a bit more mature and so forth. And, you know, that's awesome. But the CHL players can kind of get the best of both worlds as well, where they can play three, four years of excellent junior hockey and they can still play another, you know, four years of, or five of U sport hockey and get their education. So I think you know, there's this, I think the CHL has done a great thing with, with uh, player scholarships. And, and I sure hope that that would continue because to me that that's still an excellent avenue for kids to take uh, hockey wise and academics.
0: So how did you end up? Let's see, you said born in Windsor earlier, raised in Kitchener, junior hockey in Kingston, U sports hockey CIU when you were playing there at Waterloo, how'd you end up in the Rocky mountains? Oh yeah, you bet. So when you find the
1: right the right uh, partner, off you go, right? So my wife and I met at physio school. She was a year ahead of me uh, at physio school. And so uh, when we went into first, like, so so at McMaster at the time, was one of the only physio schools that you had to have a degree first. So everyone's going in, you know, 23, 24 years of age, that kind of thing. And so, um, and because of hockey, I was going in at 26, maybe 25, so a little bit older. <laughs> Uh, and and so she ran our orientation week with a friend of hers and, you know, that, which required that you get together and you do all these fun games for classmates to get to know each other. And we met each other and that just kind of grew, you know, grew from there. And, 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 and Catherine, she is her formative years are from out in Calgary. And she worked in the kinesiology field, uh, while she was a student at UC before getting into physio school at McMaster. So she just knew that Calgary was a great spot. We got to come back here and her folks are here uh and, and, and lots of family and friends and stuff too. So I said, okay, let's, let's move to Calgary. And that's, uh, so we got, we moved, I moved here for my last clinical rotation and then we got married at the same time. And then, you know, have, uh, have been here ever since. And, you know, my parents, like Cass, uh, mom, unfortunately passed away, uh, 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 last year in, in April, but, but her dad is here and actively involved in our kids' lives. My parents are, have always been involved in our kids' life, especially with their sports. My mom's a sport and that. Uh, and, and so, you know, they, when we go back to Ontario, we can, you know, see my family and the kids love that and yet have some nice roots here, here out West. So, uh, so it's been good. I mean, it, it, um, you know, I always joked playing in the OHL the Western Hockey League guys had a different stigma right there. It's always that, Oh, rough and tough out West and they travel so far on the bus and the leagues are spread out, you know, four provinces and a couple of States and, and boy, they gotta be a different breed out there. And then you, I went to LA's camp and, and was, um, uh, in, in, in our American league games was, was playing with Brent Thompson, whose son is Tage Thompson, with the Buffalo Sabres and Brent was a character, right? Um, he was a fearless guy, but just easygoing too, and and loved the game. So you kind of saw a little bit of a different, um, a little bit of a different breed between the the West and I think in the OHL. I mean, not 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 nothing against Quebec League, but it's very competitive leagues, right, uh, from top to bottom. And but I think the Western League guys sometimes have a, and I'm not sure if it's because the travel. Uh, or what it is, but they they some of them just had they're just characters, you know what I mean, as far as the the physical side of the game goes, let's call it that right? I'm not sure that's changed, maybe, but the game changed, but at least back in my day, that's what they were known for.
0: I can't think I mean, as I sit back and take all of this in, and really it it's the point of the podcast, let's be honest, to talk to people that you know were in the game and get their stories from it. but I can't imagine your story, Jeff, without hockey in it I mean. That That's kind of taken you to all of these different places in your life. And with Caden coming up the ranks, who knows about the next generation of Schneiders? That
1: would well, that would be a ton of fun. Uh, you know, it's funny because you're right. I think every story that we've talked about, even with work, comes right, around, right back around <laughs> to hockey. You know, my my wife and I own uh, a couple of clinics with some partners, and but she's a big concussion specialist and, and sees a ton of hockey players, right? Especially the ones that aren't getting better. Athletes in general, you'll know, also see some athletes. That, I treat more of the spinal injuries type thing, neck pain, back pain. Um, but a really good buddy of mine, Doug Crashley, owns uh crash conditioning, and that's what Caden works out. And and and, and crash conditioning is really a unique mecca that trains Jordan Eberle, and the list goes on. Jake Neighbors, I mean, the, the list goes on of guys here in Calgary. And 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 crash has a new school and old school mentality, so I'll still see some of the some of his guys in the clinic. So, I mean, it, it really, at the end of the day, it, it, uh, you you know, and and Crash is a funny guy. He's, he has got more stories and guys over 20 some odd years from meeting and working with so many players, right? Uh, Throughout, throughout the years. It is just, if you walk into his gym, you'll see a, how many ever thousand square foot gym with the walls covered in uh, photos with autographs. Right, so, so you're right, every aspect of our life, whether it be work,
0: personal, or fun, seems to come back to hockey, which has been great. I, I'm i <laughs> sure as those guys, I hope, as those guys were chirping you on the weekend at the alumni event, saying, oh yeah, your dad never came out with us, all this stuff. You made them call you Doc Schneids, at the very least.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> so Some of them did.
1: And a lot of the veterans, what you said, they're joking around going, your email is like, what is... You, you know, I've got two words there and you've got all these things. I just started I made a joke and you said, Well, I'll uh, just start firing some letters down there. It doesn't matter what they mean, right? <laughs> uh, but no, they were they were uh it it was it was a ton of fun and a lot of back and forth stuff. And, and as you said, right, that you know, I hope we don't have to wait another 30 years for <laughs> for a reunion of all the guys. And I'm sure we'll make a, a greater effort to now that I mean not that COVID is over, but you know what I mean. We're starting to live around it and live in life a bit more. And traveling is becoming, well, most days a little bit easier, and so hopefully that you know that that keeps those hockey stories alive and well uh, for lots of years. And As you said, hopefully, you know I know Caden's created his own stories, but hopefully he'll be doing the same thing that I'm doing now when he's 52 and and and
0: having a great time laughing about some of the old days. Well, you talked about if it happens for the Kingston Frontenacs, so you're going to be flying back to to be in those arenas to watch them i hope i run into you i hope we we can experience that this has been a ton of fun thank you so much for making time for our show
1: oh bet you bet mike though thanks for inviting me and i will definitely uh hopefully we'll be back in the kitchener area in around the mid-april this year so i'll shoot you an email and it'd be great to you know have a coffee or a beer and and uh and continue the chat
0: i know all the good spots around here these days it's definitely on me and i'll take you up on it <laughs> okay, sounds good.
1: <laughs> the podcast Superfriends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.
0: Another SoundOff Media Company podcast.